Hi, and welcome to She's the Boss Chats. I'm your host, Jules Brooke, and in the show, I interview amazing women and female founders about what it is that they're doing and why they're doing it. It's all about us lifting up the women around us. Jen Bishop, I am so excited to have you on the She's the Boss Chats podcast. Thank you so much for joining me. Thank you so much for having me, Jules. Delighted to be here. Now, it's been fantastic to meet you through the Zoom lunches that we've been doing, um, which is where I really feel like I've got to know you. But you were floating around in my LinkedIn profile in my deep, dark past as well. I don't want to say it was too long ago, but that was you, wasn't it? Yes, it was me. Absolutely. So, I think. Great. So I'm really looking forward to hearing about this career change because I know you're not doing anything like that now. So let's start with what it is that you do now. So I'm working with a business called Mindful Life Training and we provide evidence-based wellbeing um, services, consulting and training to organisations looking to reduce things like HR costs absenteeism, improve levels of stress and well-being, and also to attract millennials and Gen Z who are wanting to, um, you know, build their sort of employer brand as well. So can you just unpack that just for a little, I love that word unpack, I sound like such a wanker, but anyway, um, because a lot of, not every, some of the women listening will be self-employed. So this is, uh, you offer a service of, what sort of, what, what sort of services do you offer in the well-being kit? Thank you. Yeah, so things like emotional intelligence training, uh, mindful leadership training, uh, breathing and respiratory training for anxiety and for stress, workplace well-being for leaders, for managers, for employees. Right. So it's all those people who are all stressed and running around the hamster wheel and basically you're there to say, take a deep breath. And I know because you've told me at the lunch, so I'm dying for you to tell us why it is that you do it. So what happened or why, why are you doing this? So I'm doing this because I had a bit of a, a life transformation, I think like a, a lot of people do in midlife for some yeah. reason, something happened, some sort of uh, big life event, transformation. So for me, it was a chronic illness where um, in 2012, I came back from training some people in LinkedIn in Sydney and uh, I felt as if a swarm of bees had hit me and I just got this incredible virus and I felt like I was knocked to the pavement and I got home and uh, uh, I just never really recovered from that. So I was bedridden. Was that, was, was that an autoimmune thing? Like a, a, a swarm of bees sounds like it's nerve endings or something. That's what it felt like. I felt like my God. brain had been taken over by this virus. And in, in fact, the illness that I have is called myalgic encephalomyelitis, which means inflammation of the brain and nervous system. Yeah, the lining of the brain, yeah. Yep. So, yes, for a long time I had a range of problems, cognitive, um, nervous system and immune system problems. So I would get a cough or a cold and I just couldn't recover from that. So I would end up on steroids and in bed for three months at a time. Three months at a time. Three months at a time, yeah. And this was before, though, this was before you had the big breakdown. So these were all the warning signals that you were ignoring. Is that basically... This was 2012 when I got that viral infection. Oh, okay. So these were the symptoms. So as soon as you got a cold, you'd be in bed for three months. Golly. Yes, yep. So the, the there was the initial virus and then yep. I, I had those kind of symptoms and then 
yeah. So afterwards, my immune system was damaged irreparably. I just couldn't recover like I used to right. as a normal person. Oh. And, and then even when I did kind of finally recover, I never actually had any restful type of sleep. So I would be sleeping 18 hours a day. Um, I'd be up for six hours a day. I would be able to read for about half an hour and that was too much for my brain. Then I had to go back and rest again for another hour or two hours to then oh, go gee. and read for another half an hour. So going from somebody who had very good cognitive function to somebody who could barely read and barely walk around the block, it was um, quite challenging, <laughs> to say the least. <laughs> that, I think, is very diplomatically put. So, um, so that's your big why for what you're doing now, basically to prevent that happening to other people. Is that the...? Yes, because part of the... I know... You start off, Jules, I think when that happens, you go, why is this happening to me? Why am I so sick? It's not fair. It's not fair. You know, I was trying to do stuff right. I was trying to live the life I thought I was supposed to live. And, uh, you know, why has this happened to me? And then I started going, well, you know what? Why not? Yeah, why that's, not that's me? That's a very broad-minded way to look at it, actually. <laughs> well, you kind of have to, because otherwise you get stuck in this cycle of poor me and victimhood. Yeah. And I can Which do doesn't nothing. achieve anything. I yeah. can do nothing to change the situation. The only way you can change the situation is to look at things, or for me, was to look at things with equanimity. So equanimity meaning a balanced kind of tone. So um, to look at things in a bigger picture and a bigger perspective of, okay, I'm saying why me, but let's get curious, why not me? Why wouldn't it happen to me? Why am I so special? Am I, why am I exempt from illness? What gives me the big right? You know, every, there is ageing and there is illness for all of us. And why am I exempt? I may have got a, you know, a serious illness earlier than other people, but we're all subject to getting serious illness and death. And this is a common thing that all humans go through. And it's quite profound. Certainly, I've, I don't know whether I've mentioned this in another of the podcasts, but there was a lunch that we had at one of our She's the Boss lunches on a Friday about, I don't know, a month ago. And I just remember you saying that you had had this illness and then three or four other women saying that they had had something similar. One had PTSD, one had had a nervous breakdown, whatever. And I was just looking at you all and going, boy, oh boy, is that ever the message? Do not get overstressed and don't take on too much. But let me, let me, let's wind this right back to the beginning because I'm fascinated to hear. I imagine when you left school, you probably didn't say when I grow up, I want to be either a LinkedIn expert or um, a wellness expert. So can you take me back to, you know, finishing school and how your career has progressed and, and how you've kind of your entrepreneurial journey? That's, that's an interesting, <laughs> interesting and long answer. So I, I was telling someone the other day. All right, we've got plenty of time. Off I used you to go. love Tell debating at school. Right. And I used to love being on the stage. That was kind of a bit of a passion. So I loved acting and being on the stage. But I used to get too nervous and too right. stressed. So the first time I ever did debating at school, I was so nervous that I just spilled water everywhere and completely embarrassed myself and I was virtually having a panic attack. Oh really? Like knocked over a glass of water was it? Just uh, is yeah. this when you were on the stage? On the stage and just... Oh you just, poor love. <laughs> yeah everywhere um, and so I had this kind of dual attraction and you know incredible fear of speaking in front of people at the same time. Right. Um, so look as it's turned out I've 
I've spent a lot of my time in public speaking and I don't have that fear anymore. I kind of got rid of it. But that, well, that's a great tip for anyone that's listening, actually, because I used to absolutely, and I'll use the very un-PC thing of shit myself, but like yeah. really I was so scared and when... And, and my way of dealing was it was I used to get up on the stage and go, oh, my God, I'm so nervous. I haven't done this. And I and I and then someone said to me, the people in the audience don't need to know that firstly, Jules, because all you're doing is undermining yourself and, and making them go, well, if she doesn't believe she's any good, then she isn't any good. And why are we even talking to her? And the second thing was that my mouth used to just turn to cotton wool. It still it does it sometimes on the TV show. And I'm speaking a lot because I've got no moisture anywhere. So. <laughs> So anyway, so take me back. So you left school and what was your first job when you left school or, or did you go straight out on your own? How, how, how did you become an entrepreneur? So I was always a very high achiever and I thought I would end up doing something like either law, psychology or commerce because I was an A-level student. Right. But again, my levels of anxiety and stress, which I actually didn't recognise in those days as a, as a an anxiety disorder um, yeah. actually ruined chances for me to get a good mark because I couldn't perform under pressure in exam-based situations because right. my amygdala would just take over and the stress response and then I couldn't think clearly. Right. So I realise that now. But anyway, look, I got a, a good enough mark um, and I got into marketing at um, Monash. Yeah, so right. that, that was a great course. And yeah. uh, I actually ended up choosing, there was no such thing really as marketing back in those days in the 80s, but I chose right. that because I was going out with a guy who was doing marketing for um, Mushroom Records. Oh, very cool. Yeah, it was very And you went, cool. I'll have a bit of that, thanks. <laughs> and I was just like, this is amazing. I want to do yeah. what he's doing. I want to be a marketer, you know. This is great. <laughs> I want to be with the rock stars doing marketing because I'm not going to be a rock star. So, yeah, I thought marketing would be cool. And, um, yeah, so I did that degree and I left left uni. I loved uni, had lots of friends at uni and then um, went and got a job straight out of, 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 of that doing um, product management at Telstra. Wow. I know. Interesting. It's funny how we do these funny jobs though, isn't it? So, so how long did that last? Yeah, so I was with, with Telstra for about three and a half years. Okay. Yep, so in product management and then corporate analysis, which was it was in an area called strategic analysis. So it was corporate image, but doing the research for, um, you know, how Telstra was going in terms of advertising research and so on. And right. Yeah, so it was a wonderful experience. I didn't realise how lucky I was. I just kind of took everything for granted. I was... well, well, you do, don't you? Because when you don't know anything better, you just assume this is how everybody gets their jobs. I got headhunted to the Herald Sun, I remember, and I was like... Surely everybody does that. Exactly, exactly. It wasn't until years later I realised how lucky that was. That yeah, yeah. However, I, again, suffered quite a bit of anxiety and depression during that period, being stuck inside a building, um, completely different experience from school, first real job. Look, I had 50 other part-time jobs before that. Um, but yeah. just looking out a window and thinking, is this life? And so I used to actually teach aerobics part-time. That was kind of my part-time job outside doing marketing stuff. And I thought, you know what, I love this. I love, pe I love teaching people to get fit and to help yeah. them with their health. And so I left Telstra, took a package, went overseas for seven months 
and um, started teaching aerobics and became certified as one of the first personal trainers in Australia. Wow, well, isn't that a big call? And also, obviously, the beginning of the entrepreneurial urge in you was just like, I'm loving this, like I can control my own destiny. Absolutely. And it's so exciting when you do it when you're young. I mean, I did it at, at 24, I think. How old were you when this? About the same, about yeah. the same, yeah. Right, so aerobic instructor wearing, and I imagine that was when Olivia Newton-John was wandering around in leg warmers and everyone was looking perfect. That's right, and I got so into it that I was invited to go and compete in the state championships then. So I wow. competed in the Victorian state championships and the nationals. Blimey. <laughs> <laughs> I, I sort of have, I feel like there's a movie in this somewhere, but anyway, <laughs> it's a bit strictly ballroom at this stage, but go on. It is. Well, pr there is some history to, the, to this prior to that because I was accepted into the Victorian College of the Arts when I was 11 as a dancer. Right. Yes, I had two years at the College of the Arts doing dancing full time. Right. And then why did you pull out to go back to normal school? Just didn't like the dancing or were you the wrong shape? or? Well, the hist history goes back a little bit further than that. And I was actually clinically morbidly obese before I no. got into yep. Before you became the Australian national champion for aerobics, you were uh, morbidly obese. Before I was the d dancer. So wow. at 10 years of age, when I was a young kid, right. I was morbidly obese. So that kind okay. of gives you an and, idea and about then your where, parents the put you into the and where the depression and anxiety came from. So I was right. depressed, anxious, very overweight when I was young. Um, and then I loved ballet, though. I loved dancing. And so that was something I could do, I could control when I was feeling stressed and anxious. And yeah. then the doctor sort of said to me, you're very fat. You need to lose weight. You, otherwise, you're going to get sick. You know, you're only 10 years old. So my mother took me to, thank God, a dietitian when I was 10. And yep. so I lost three stone in those days in wow. over a year and a half. And I practised and practised and practised with the dancing and I got into the Victorian College of the Arts. That is amazing. What an achievement. Amazing. Yeah. Right. So, so now let's just go forward again. So you've been bitten by the entrepreneurial bug to an extent following some great travel. I'm, I can only imagine it was great. It's always great at that age. Yeah. Um, and then, so what did you do with that? So I did that for a couple of years and then I realised that I was getting stressed in another way, like physiologically stressed because I was then exercising five hours a day. So again, my anxiety and my stress was well managed, but uh, because I was getting all these great chemicals like dopamine, um, norepinephrine, uh, serotonin, endorphins going all the time because you could just, you're high on exercise the whole time. So I felt great right. the whole time. Right. Um, and, but then I actually, my body fat got so low that I got really sick again. So I thought, you know what, this is no good for me physically. I need to go back to a more sedentary type of lifestyle keep fit in my private life, but not do it full time. So I actually went back to um, doing some consulting at university. So I wrote a couple of courses in leadership management for the TAFE and university system. And I became a TAFE and university teacher at RMIT, Deakin University, and um, a couple of the different TAFEs. And I did teaching and, and writing for a while. And was this a happy time? Like, did you love doing this or did, were did. you just kind of like, um, you did? I right? did. I've always liked teaching. 
I always like to see people learning something and have a lot. That's my kind. It's, it's always been a purposeful kind of thing. So when I ended up getting back into marketing later on, um, I really I missed that kind of person to person, you know, exciting people, getting them engaged, making a change in their life type thing. Yeah. Right. So, yeah, I was into the teaching for a while and then I thought, you know what, I want a more secure job because I want to be able to get a house and all of that sort of stuff. The boyfriend scene wasn't looking too hot, so I thought I'm going to have to do it all my, on my own. So yeah. I got a job as a sales person in a data analytics firm. So we sold um, quite interesting um, marketing analytics and data packages for very large corporates. Okay, to improve their And how long did you last there? Four years. Okay. I'm still wait. I'm waiting for the I couldn't stand working for someone else. I decided to go out on my own. So keep going. Oh, yeah. There's, yep. So <laughs> it's then, coming. Then I was like, I'm going back to my roots. I'm going back to marketing. I want to, I want to, uh, I want, I'm interested in that. So I worked for a a fast-growing company that ended up in a merger, an acquisition, and another merger, and then I was involved in one of the biggest um, energy acquisitions in history, which was in two thousand and seven. And I wrote the the marketing Hang on, plan. Hang who, on, who who merged? BHP and someone? No, it was um, AGL and Power Direct and Sun Retail. Okay. Energy. Right. Merger. So you're in the energy sector doing marketing. Yeah, so I had a team there and um, I wrote the plan that went into the data room for the sale of the business. So that was very exciting. Very cool. Yeah. Um, and so we... And how we, old are you at this stage, about roughly? About 35. Okay. Yep. And then yep. from there I got a job um, in the manufacturing sector, managing a team of 10 in um, global door opening solutions, so locks. Right. So, yeah, that was a marketing team. That was a marketing it's ama- job. It's amazing. It always amazes me how we, sometimes you can accept a job and something like marketing is a really good example where it, it crosses so many different industries that people become amazing experts at really quirky, weird things. You know, you obviously became very good on locks. I have another friend that got into turf management as the marketing manager and ended up sort of working with herbicide companies and, you know, just sort of weird things that you can become really specialised at. Um, so what happened after the locks company? Yeah, so the global door opening solutions company, Sorry. they hate to be called locks, <laughs> uh, Asa Abloy, so a Swedish company. After that, I was made redundant. So that was the last recession, like the global... Um, right, yeah, 2008. Yeah, I was the last one in, so I was the first one out. And then I thought, that's it. It was really hard to get a job at that time. And I was quite senior. I'd become quite senior. And as you would know, very hard for a 40-year-old woman to get a... Well, yeah, let's talk about that because it is really hard for, for women these days. And I think it's only worse. I mean, we're talking for you, I guess. What are we talking, 10 years ago? I don't yep. know. So I would say in the last 10 years, it has got worse and worse and worse yep. and worse. And so... I'm a big fan of stop looking, just start your own business because then you'll have the best boss, a boss you totally approve of, and they can, you know, pay you as much as you like and all that kind of thing. So you had, and, and it was a very tough time. And of course, we're about really, I mean, we're, we're, for anybody that's listening now, we're still, well, what are the, the, the numbers are peaking from the pandemic again. So we're probably going to go into lockdown again soon. 
and there is a, I would think, massive recession coming, yeah. you know. I mean, I know that it's only numbers at the moment, but it's going to be huge. So when the last recession hit you, did did it terrify you? I mean, what what was the big thing that made you decide to go out on your own? It did terrify me, Jules, and I wasn't in a good place. I was very, again, the, the stress and the anxiety came back and uh, I was, yeah, very stressed, very anxious. I was on antidepressants. Um, I had actually been on antidepressants for 10 years because while my anxiety was very well controlled when I was exercising all the time, it became very uncontrolled after that. So while I was right. functioning very well on a professional level, I was not functioning very well on a personal level because I was suffering yeah. from a great deal of anxiety. And mental health really, again, was kind of not even talked about. I mean, even 10 years ago, it really no. wasn't that big a thing, was it? No. I mean, I think out of this one, we're all talking about the mental health issues that are going to come out of this pandemic. But uh, with the last one, it was like, what are we going to do with, um, with no money? I don't think anyone even thought about the anxiety side of it. So I tried to start up my own thing, as we often do, fail and fail fast. Um, I, I found it a struggle. I wanted to, I felt like I wanted to do a marketing agency where I was designing websites that were content driven. So really what we've got now was the opposite to the magazine style website in 2009. So yep. I was kind of, I was at the forefront of that, but I didn't really know what I was doing. I was just sort of bumbling around. And uh, look, I, I did that for probably 12 months and then I got really into LinkedIn. I was really excited by the fact I could connect with people and meet people through LinkedIn. And I was talking to quite a few people about it and I organised a few networking lunches and they said, you know what, you should really teach LinkedIn. So I, I, having, you know, been a teacher and a trainer, I went, well, maybe I could do this. That could well, work. Let's, yeah. let's research it a bit. And so I started probably one of the first LinkedIn training workshops in the country, probably. Yeah. Amazing. So when was this? Sort of 2009, was it? Something 2009, like that. 2009, that's right. So it was a bit of a... And LinkedIn <laughs> was a very different beast in those days too, I oh, always completely thought. different. It was a lot more like what you've organised now with She's the Boss. It was a lot more local networking. So you were able right. to keep your group to the Melbourne kind of network. You weren't sort of as exposed to the broader kind of community. Yeah, there wasn't the it wasn't as organised. Oh right. Us. Yeah, yeah. It was it was much more local and it was good fun. Um, yeah, and it was I guess it was interesting because I had this thread going through my life was you know I was one of the first personal trainers, then one of the first LinkedIn people, and I've probably been one of the first kind of mindfulness meditation people or not one of the first, but sort of at the start of that wave. For of, corporates, of certainly. Growth. I mean, I yeah. think a lot of people do it in their personal time, yeah. but it's it would be only recent, and I would imagine you're going to be absolutely snowed under when we come out of this, but it would be only recent that corporates would give a damn, I would have thought, about the mental health of their, of their employees. But tell me more about the LinkedIn. So you did one workshop. How did that grow from there? Yeah, so I I was sort of... I, just, I think it was just by word of mouth, actually. I don't remember spending any money on advertising. I spent a whole lot of money on brochures because I guess that's what I'd done in corporate roles before. Yep. Um, and, then, and then it was just really by referral and word of mouth and it just sort of grew where I was, you know, training in Sydney and training in Melbourne and um, I wouldn't say it was a highly profitable business by any stage. It was just at the start. So it was only yeah. kind of key But people. you were able to support yourself, yeah, which would have been... Yeah, and then I train individuals as well doing their LinkedIn profiles. I just kind of got a bit of a reputation for it. Um, and then I, I sort of continued on with that until I got sick in 2012. And then 
Occasionally, from the period of 2012 to 2015, I did, you know, the odd job here and there, but it was be I'd have to work for three hours and then it would take me days to recover. So how did you survive for three years where you were that sick? Um, a, lot of, a lot of inner resilience. Yeah, you would have had to have had it because, and how did you survive financially and, and, and you know, were people, did you, do you have your mum and dad or brothers and sisters that would come and help you or friends? So you just did it all on your own. And then, so tell me a little bit now about, um, about, so the leap from, or what were you doing? So you were, you were traveling and speaking and doing events that way. And then from that, we, um, you had this, you had this moment, this absolutely awful moment at the airport. Yeah. Got home, three years off and on of terrible illness. So what was the light bulb moment where you went, hang on a minute, I'm learning so much now about myself that I could apply this to other people? Because I assume it was something like that that made you think about setting up this business now. Jules, all of my time in the first three years I was sick was spent trying to research a cure for my illness. And I worked out that even if I was the best molecular scientist in the world, I was never going to find a cure for my illness because the best minds in the world can't do it and I don't have the best mind. So I may as well give up now and focus on working with what I have left. And I had been practicing mindfulness and I was looking at the links between the mind and body and I was looking at the evidence base and the research. And because I had a background as a researcher as well, um, I was pretty focused on what was you know, what was concrete rather than what was just a case study and yep. where there'd been some evidence. And there's not, it's not evidence like a lot of other industries like pharmaceutical industries have evidence, but there are, there are bits which are building up sort of over time. So I looked at that evidence and I went, you know what, it looks pretty clear to me that there's this whole field of science called psychoneuroimmunology. So that right. what you think affects your brain, affects your nervous system, affects your immune system. So how you think. Oh, amazing. That sort of makes sense. It makes sense because there are obviously lots of physical repercussions for how your brain is thinking, whether it's good, bad or indifferent. And then I looked into a field called epigenetics. And epigenetics means that your genes might give you a certain predisposition to, say, cancer or an autoimmune disease, for example. But unless you have a trigger, so it's, it's uh, a stress, um, eating the wrong foods, like becoming obese or drinking too much or having a life stress such as losing your partner or losing your house or getting sick, all of those are called epigenetic uh, changes that can happen to the gene which can switch on or switch off an illness. Right. Yeah. Right. So I started to, to look into that and realise that that's really what had happened to me and that's what happens to a lot of us. And so that if that there are some controllable environmental factors that we can not completely control for, but that we can affect with our life choices and life decisions. And a lot of my programming of my brain had happened when I was so young that I had to do a lot of work about deprogramming the stress response or the HPA access in my brain that affected my nervous system. It's a long and complex 
uh, discussion, which I won't go into, but it involved a whole range of things such as learning to calm down, learning not to be hypervigilant, learning to question things, stopping catastrophizing, using CBT. I had a lot of support along that kind of journey, but it was when all of that, that illness came that everything clicked to me that all of this anxiety and depression had triggered part of that illness. Right. Yeah, well, well yeah, that sort of makes sense. In And it's unfair in that, you know, you can't help it if you're anxious and, and you have that disposition. But obviously that does maybe, well, not obviously, but maybe that does kind of put you in a more vulnerable situation to, you know, have this kind of effect happen to you. Because, uh, and, and I just am interested because... Um, I was talking to a friend of mine, Annette Densham, who's always very positive, and I tend to be, I always err on the side of optimism. It's just a weird thing in me that I can't, you know, whatever bad thing happens, I always find the good side of it. And and we were talking about how that, how a lot of optimism is really teaching yourself to be like that. Is that the same thing with what it is that you're doing? So it's teaching yourself so your New brain, neural pathways or whatever. <laughs> exactly. So your brain is plastic. We know that. We know that there are lots of ways, like stroke victims, for example, yeah. use neuroplasticity to create new neural pathways when certain parts of the brain dies. So yeah. stroke victims can do it. People like me who've had a, an illness and normal people can, can do it as well. So that really is what mindfulness is about as it, at, at its basic form is brain training to make positive neuroplastic changes in your brain. Right. That, that is what it is about. And so it's, it's habit right. retraining. So, right. So, Pardon? Um, sorry, no, that, that's fine. Um, I was going to say, so um, what was I going to say? The neuropathways, yada, yada, I don't know. I've lost it. That's okay. I, 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 I could That'll probably... be my neural pathways, not sure, whatever, not shooting the right way. <laughs> so I was just going to say that... Um, there was a lot of learning for me about how I had contributed to my own illness, not in an intentional way, yeah, I want to get sick. It was past behaviour um, and anxiety and, and depression and stress that was so ingrained into my brain and I didn't, even, I didn't know how to challenge that or to change my behaviour really. And so what happens is when I got that complete collapse, that was the light bulb that has helped yeah. me to really change and manage anxiety and depression. So I went off every drug. I stopped drinking completely because I, wa I wanted so desperately to get better and get my brain back yeah. that I tried everything. So I went off all different foods. I went off every medication. I was on these antidepressants for 10 years. The doctor said, you've got to do it slowly. Um, stop drinking completely, etc. And eventually, over time, I have become progressively better over time. And I'm still right. not to what I was pre-illness. I still have to have a lot of rest. And if I get stressed, it overarcs the nervous system, which I get sick almost immediately if I get too much stress. So it's, right. kind of, it's a self So you've got to monitoring. balance your, your day, your life, your work. So what does working life look, for you, look like for you these days? So I work when my brain lets me and I'm very grateful. I always say to my brain, thank you, brain, for giving me this opportunity because all I want to do is to be of some value to people. You know, I don't want to sit how I was for three to five years, comatosed on the couch and unable to think 
and unable to contribute in life and in society was the worst feeling. Yeah, I bet. So now you, you, you basically have it, you can manage it to the extent that your body has recovered anyway. Uh, look, every day at 10.30, I have to rest. So right. that my brain just switches off. It goes, okay, you've got to have a rest now. So at I need to rest for at least an hour then. And uh, then sometimes in the afternoon as well, if I've had a lot of cognitive work going on for the day. I tend to work better at night. So contrary to what I tell a lot of people, uh, I will sort of be working, uh, you know, every second or third day I might work till nine or 10 o'clock at night, which I would not recommend for other people because it's not good for your brain to be no. that switched on before bed. Um, but unfortunately that is when my brain works and it doesn't work well in the morning. Something happened to my brain when I got sick that mornings don't work for me very well anymore. Right. I'd say there's probably quite a few people. I don't know whether it's because of their brain or not, but certainly my partner, my boyfriend, is. I like wake up and I'm like this. I'm like shooting ideas and I've just thought of this. And he's like, can I have a cup of coffee and please don't talk to me for an hour? <laughs> I think I must be about the most annoying person to have as a partner if you're like that in the morning. Because I, I, whereas at night I'm slowed right down. All right, so now we've talked. Unless is there something else that you want to talk about your current business? Um, otherwise, I'm going to move on to just some other bits and pieces. All right, so how do you juggle um, work and life? What sort of hours are you working now? So you've just told us a little bit about you need a rest in the morning. Are you giving yourself proper weekends, proper you know time off? Now, so you separate both? The illness forces me to. Right. Because yeah. it's really hard sometimes as a woman in business, and it, if it's something that you love doing, not to, you know, not have an end, end in sight and not give yourself those times off. Uh, so I, I guess the lesson from this is you have to. I mean, I try to, I've got three kids, so I try to make sure that my evenings are, free and my weekends are but if the kids aren't around I can just like days can go where I'm just working on something I love it it's what I enjoy doing yeah I will never put anything before my health again so every that's great advice though like that's if yeah. there's ever a learning so what would you be saying to anyone else out there who might be starting out and I mean there are some people who go you know if I, if I work through and I just have five hours off every night it's fine <laughs> uh, I would say it's very hard to advise people when they haven't gone through it themselves. Sometimes the only learning is kind of self-experience, isn't it, Jules? You can tell people till you're blue in the face, but... Yes, absolutely. I think that's But having an example of someone like you, it definitely works. I mean, you just need someone to say, this is what happened to me and it could happen to you if you don't look after yourself. Yes, yes, exactly. The other thing that happened is when I was starting to recover a little bit about 2017, um, I was cleaning the floor and I slipped over and I broke my knee into 13 pieces. Oh my God, ow! So that was um, quite traumatic and incredibly painful. But as I said to somebody on LinkedIn today, I consider both of those experiences I'm grateful for. I'm grateful for the trauma and I believe that I've had what is called, I think I've had PTS, PTSG, which is post-traumatic growth. Right. Yeah, well, I mean, you know, it, it can either, something like this, to ha that having something like this happen to you can either bring you to your knees 
or it can fire you up and it's obviously fired you up. And now you're on a mission to help other people, which is just so beautiful. Yes, yeah. And uh, I guess what I'm trying to do is to to serve other people quite directly in my group, but also to, to serve the business community, which is what I know better and I feel more comfortable than serving kind of individuals. I've done yeah, some some personal workshops, but I feel more comfortable with businesses. And also, um, I don't want to be doing all the work myself, which is why I thought a shared community of people would be better. And I love yeah. learning. That's the, the most important thing in my life is to be able to learn something new um, and to be able to share that with, with others. And so this um, community I've got with MLT, um, I, I, I want to be able to help provide them work as well. So it's not, a, it's not about necessarily me being the star. I'd rather step back and let them be the stars, you know. That's beautiful as well, especially for a girl who wanted to be on the stage. <laughs> I know. My time on the stage is over, Jules. Oh, I don't think so. I'm sure you're going to pop up again. So, okay, now we're going to go into sort of just the fun bits at the end, which aren't particularly relevant to anything other than I'm being nosy. So, and this was, this um, next question is one that a journalist have taught me to say, and it's always interesting to hear the answer, but is there one quirky fact about you that most people don't know that you'd be prepared to share with us? Is there something that you've done, said something that happened to you that is a bit quirky? Yes, I've been preparing this. So I was interviewed once by Eric Banner. Really? Yes. When How I, come? Well, when I was doing all my aerotics, my right. aerobics and being the aerobics queen and being in all the competitions, I was in pretty good shape back then. And yeah. uh, one of the gyms I was working with asked me if I would be on the Dr Feel Good Sex Show being interviewed by uh, Eric Banner about the perfect man. Oh, my God. What did you say? <laughs> uh, about the shape of a perfect man. And he said, oh, you know, do you, think, do you think girls want, you know, men to be really beefy and muscular and all the rest of it? And I said, oh, I think there's a bit of a change now. I think women prefer men to be a bit leaner, you know, just right. to be nice and fit and, and comfortable and happy with themselves. So I was on this Dr. Feelgood show and it was um, highly embarrassing looking back <laughs> during the splits. I don't in think front of so. I think, that's, <laughs> I think that's great. And, uh, and no doubt, he w was he a big star in those days? Had he done Incredible Hulk and Chopper? He was on that comedy show. Yes. I can't remember what it was. It was like Fast Company or Fast one Forward of those. Fast Forward or something? Fast Forward. Yeah. yeah. He, was, he was just a young comedian in those days. Yeah. Right. I think that's great. That's a really good quirky fact. Thank you for that one. Now, um, last but not least, just because I love my phone and apps, I always ask everyone, what are the two most useful apps on your phone, but not including banking and email and things like that are really obvious? So the two most useful apps would be 10% Happier, which is Ooh, what I... What, what's that? So I'd recommend that to anybody who's been a journalist and also anybody interested in mindfulness and um, learning about mindfulness and behaviour change. So Dan Harris is a, let me get this right, NBC journalist who had a panic attack on air and he decided to, after seeing a psychotherapist, because he was reporting in the war in Afghanistan and yep. he had PTSD and he came back and he had a panic attack and couldn't think on air and he couldn't speak and uh, as a journalist that was pretty uh, horrific for him spoke to the psychiatrist 
he was also taking cocaine at the time, I think, which kind of triggered it. Wouldn't have helped. Wouldn't have helped. Um, and he, the psychiatrist recommended some mindfulness practice. So he started that and then he wrote the book, 10% Happier, with a fellow meditation teacher. And then he, he created a startup, which was called right. 10% Happier. And what and does the app do? So the app has got about 50 different teachers and 50 coaches on there. So you get text-based oh, wow. coaching at no oh. charge when you've got concerns, questions. It's like a, 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 almost like a text, emotional support, mental health type app. That and is amazing. It is amazing. He's amazing. And he interviews the most incredible people in the world, Hit the most incredible leaders, thinkers, um, motivational experts, um, mindfulness teachers. Yeah, incredible. So it's amazing. It's a, yeah, 10% happier, the app and the podcast. The podcast is great. Also gold. And then is there another useful app that you use sort of for business in any way? Yeah, so the other one's another mindfulness one by one of the greatest neuroscientists in the world and probably um, one of the best speakers in the world. He started up a similar TEDx thing for speakers on stage where he has conversations with the most interesting people in the world. His name is Harris as well and it's, a, it's an app called um, Waking, Waking Up is his app. And Sam Harris is his name. So he's got Sam Harris waking up. Brilliant. And then do you, do, are you a player on your phone? Like, do you just like to play on your phone or you only use it for work? Because I know I play games. And if so, <laughs> what's your fun app for your personal time? My, my fun is learning. I'm pretty boring, aren't I? No, you're not. You know, <laughs> I'm, now that I've, I've been interviewing all these women, I have to say... There's a hell of a lot of you that love, you know, your downtime is subconscious. People, are, I've got, there's one person, I think it was JJ Ferrari, has five, she is learning five different things, including like nuclear medicine and a whole lot of other things. And she's got a theory that she puts it on before she goes to bed with some loud music that's louder so it's super low and she absorbs it all. Somebody else is learning Russian. Like I'm starting to think I'm really slack as that I just watch Netflix. <laughs> oh, no, I watch Netflix. That is, oh, there's, I think I've watched everything on SBS, Netflix and the ABC. They would be my absolute downtime to go to. And comedies I love because I do believe in the subconscious um, absorbing of too much bad information. And so I really... I'm aware that I'm very attracted to um, news, like a lot of us are, you know, right. and I, I try and limit that. And every time I find a comedy, I'm, I'm straight onto it. So I've just watched the latest season of Politician. Ah, nice. Did you ever Hilarious. see Bridesmaids? Did you see Bridesmaids? No. Oh, my God, you haven't seen Bridesmaids. It's about, I reckon it's the best comedy out there. You have to watch it. I think it, it's... It's on one of the streaming platforms because I know I've got Prime and Stan as well. I got a little bit crazy and did all of them. Um, I'm not going to say anything more other than you absolutely have to watch it. It's Christine Wiig and Melissa McCarthy and it's and I thought it would be like a Jennifer Aniston rom-com and it is about as far away from that as you could possibly get and that's all I'm going to say. But... Watch it and then tell me what you think of it. And for anyone else that's listening, if that hasn't seen it, you have to watch it. It's hilarious. What about Fleabag? Have you seen Fleabag? Yes, I love Fleabag. I love Fleabag. Catastrophe? 
I don't know if I've seen that one. The other one I really love is um, The Marvellous Mrs. Maisel. Have you seen that one? No. That's worth getting. I think it's on Stan and it's worth getting Stan. I think you get a month free. Watch it and just watch that. It's three seasons about a woman. It's really stylized. Um back to the 50s. She lives in New York. She's married, happily married, blah, blah, blah. And she decides she wants to be a stand-up comedian. Oh, brilliant. Without telling her hubby. It's so good. It's just brilliant. I love it. It's, it I, I, I feel like it's a mixture between really fast-talking New York kind of people and Mary Poppins. It's just gorgeous. You'll enjoy it. Anyway, what can I say, Jen? Thank you so, so much for this interview. It's oh, been brilliant. You won't believe that we are already at the end and we've been talking for over 45 minutes, but I have loved every minute of hearing all about your story. You're amazing. I think you give me, me too much credit, Jules, but I'm delighted to have spoken to you. I've probably never spoken publicly like this before, so I'm a bit nervous, but there you go. <laughs> You'll be fine and it'll be buried in a, in a podcast and if anybody listens to it, they will probably contact you and go, oh, my God, you're my hero. Thanks, Jules. Thanks so much. My pleasure. I hope you've enjoyed this She's the Boss chat episode. It was great to have you here. If you want to stay in touch, you might also like some of the other things that we've got going on with She's the Boss. Firstly, I've got the She's the Boss show, which is on Ticker TV. Now, you can watch that either on tickertv.com.au or you can download the Ticker app from any of the app stores. So Apple and Android, and they've got an app that is for your phone, for your iPad or tablet, and for the smart TV. Or you could join us for our free Zoom lunches for female founders that we hold online. The best way to do any of these things really is go to she'sthebossscomau and on there you can register for the lunches and I've also got links to the website. So either way, I hope you've enjoyed it. I'm really enjoying digging down and getting down to the nitty gritty with these women and I hope you'll join me for the next episode.